Well, good morning. Please be seated. Lovely to welcome you this morning to Willow Park Church. If you're new here, lovely to get to meet you and um, to perhaps shake your hand at the end, or I may shake it as as you began. Um, I just want to mention that um, when we have prayer ministry, there will be uh, anointing of oil. Uh, that's something that uh, the prayer team have been praying into and working to, and um, just any need that you have, any battle you're going through, any prayer at the end of this service, after the final song or drawing, prayer team will be available to anoint and to pray and to battle with you in that situation and whatever you are facing in your journey with the Lord. Well, uh, we are still in John chapter 15. Three weeks of this. This is the third, well, four weeks, in fact, because um, Pastor Jordan spoke about um, uh, the middle section in terms of our loneliness and love and our relationship with God. We're going to continue to do that. Uh, let me just mention a few things to you. Of course, it's Father's Day, so you've probably been told that we've got an awesome, awesome um, food gift for all the men in the church as they leave. Have you been told that? Oh, good, good. Michelle said to me, do not call it a wiener. And I said, that's the first thing she said to me at 6 a.m. this morning. She said, it's Father's Day. I said, yeah, they're giving out those things. Do not call them wieners. We are not having wieners. Whatever wieners means to you, we don't do that here. Okay? No, we are having beautifully created, crafted sausages Wrapped in, in pastry, beautifully pastried together and, and sprinkled and beautiful and pastry and then cheese on the top. That's it. It's not a wiener. So do not ever mention that again. This is, this is upmarket stuff. This is, this is Willow Park Church. This is, we don't mess around here when it comes to feeding men. We don't give you wieners, we, whatever. Stop saying that now. So um, anyway, I don't think my wife's in here. She's probably chatting to somebody out there. So good job as well. Okay. Uh, the second thing I want to tell you is that um, today uh, I'm leaving to go on a break. And um, I'll be off for two Sundays. And next week, Pastor Zach is preaching, and the following week, Pastor Jeremy is speaking, um, and then I'll be back. I'm going on a trek for 11 days across England, and I'm uh, walking 200 miles. It's a famous route, and I'm putting my rucksack on. I'm going on the longest prayer retreat ever that I've been on, and I'm going to fly into London this evening, and then... Um, by Tuesday, be at a place called St. Bede's, and then I'm going to be walking to uh, Emmerdale Bridge, and then from Emmerdale Bridge, I'll be walking to Patterdale, and from there, I'll be going through the, the Lake District and on to the Yorkshire Moors, and then on to the North Yorkshire Moors, and then I finish off in Robins Hood Bay, and you have not got a clue where any of those places are. Unless you watch all creatures great and small, and there you know a little bit about the North um, 
the Northdale. So I'll be gone for a couple of weeks on that uh, trek I've been planning for five years. So um, I look forward to that. So do, do pray, but you know where I am, um, somewhere between uh, the Irish Sea and the North Sea, somewhere, God willing, if I make it. Okay. Oh, thank you very much. That's kind of you. So he said, I will make it. And I am happy to hear those words. John chapter 15. As we step into John chapter 15, let me remind you the journey that we have been on. We've talked about that Jesus began his teaching. And of course, John chapter 14 is about him leaving. John chapter 15 is about him remaining. When Jesus Christ talked about remaining, he of course used the incredible, the legendary, the immense metaphor of a vine. That he is the vine, we are the branches. The point being that when we're connected to the Lord Jesus Christ, what God wants to do in our life, in our prayer life, in our devotional life, in our walk with him, what he wants to do is that you and I would bear fruit. This fruit happens internally within us. This is the growth that takes place within our lives, that takes place as the Lord works. He looked and he said, you know, I am the vine, which was a shocking statement in Israel um, culture at that time because the vine was always described as the land of Israel, the land that was there. And to say that he was the line, in the same way that he replaced himself as the temple, that now there is a new temple, a living temple. You and I are part of this new temple and part of this living temple of God. He also replaces himself in this sense that he says, you know, your sustenance, your life, your growth, your, your dynamic relationship with God the Father will happen through me because I am bridging that gap and I am coming and you are the branches and you know when something is fruitful because you can look at at a vine and you can see the branches and on the end of the branches you can see the fruit that is present and the fruit that is there what is the fruit well Jesus taught us that the fruit was the power of love within our lives, within our communities, within who we are. Jesus taught us that the power of fruit is that reality that actually answered prayer. That when you are abiding in the vine and you are gaining your sustenance from the Lord Jesus Christ and you're in that connection, in that relationship, you have a dynamic prayer relationship and there you will see prayers answered. Not only that, but you receive love, you receive joy, and you receive peace. These are the fruit. You're, you dwell in the Lord and you have the word of God that is present within your life and the word of God that it dwells within you. What is Jesus ultimately saying here? He's saying that your reliance should be on him. And like Jesus is reliant upon the Father, we are reliant upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are the branches. He is the vine. So let's remain in him and have that ongoing, beautiful, magnificent relationship with him where he comes and works within our lives. But of course, it goes on in that chapter and says there's a cost. And the cost is... 
that we will, by virtue of abiding in the vine, we will experience the cost, we will experience persecution, we will experience opposition. But don't worry, when you experience opposition, when you experience difficulty because you bear the name of Jesus, he promises that he will send his spirit. But be know the reality, and the reality is this, that because of you following the Lord Jesus Christ... He's saying, because you are following me, you may well be hated by the world. And why are you hated? Because the world hates me. And you will be hated, and there will be times of that that will take place, because the world hates me. Why is it that, that Jesus is hated? Well, very simply, it's because when the truth of Jesus comes into a dark world, it unmasks the evil and the darkness in this world. And God has called us like a prophet. It uses the language like prophetic of the ancient prophets to speak truth into the world and to see a difference where you can experience and know that truth into this world and and we're in that situation of that, that conflict that can take place between light and darkness. That is a theme right the way through John. That battle that takes place. You see, Jesus has an ability of sometimes by his very presence, by looking at people and by his presence, they don't like what they see. Have you ever had that experience? You, you go, you look in the mirror sometimes. And you don't like what you see, right? It's like this mirror's warped, honestly. It can't be right. It reflects back something that I don't want to see, particularly after Christmas. It reflects back something. I don't like it because a mirror sometimes is really good. And I love those mirrors that make me look awesome. But I don't like the truthful ones. And so I stand there in front of the mirror and I go, oh. No, come on. I don't like the mirror sometimes, particularly in the morning when I get up and I drop out of bed and I crawl across the floor. And I'm not one of these people that gets up in the morning and says, good morning, Lord. Hallelujah. I drop out of bed and say, good, good Lord, is it morning? And then, you know, I feel horrible. I feel like I've been licked by a cow. I feel horrible. And I go through. And I look in the mirror and I go, I don't like what I see instantly. Look at my hair. This is not good. Jesus has that ability to come to us and, and to put the world and puts a mirror up and says, see this. Do you see this? This is what you do. This is the way you are. This is the unrighteousness. This is the darkness. This is the evil that is in the world. This is the problem that is taking place. And that's why the world reacts so negatively to this. And being a Christian does not always mean that you and I will go through plain sailing and everything's going to be perfect. And so often we've taken an idea that, you know, when you follow Jesus, you're going to be blessed, you're going to be wealthy, you're not going to have any suffering, you're not going to have any pain, you're not going to have any difficulty. And here Jesus says, listen to me, you will go through tough times, you will experience problems, you will know this. As Bonhoeffer, the great German theologian that was killed by the Nazis in the Second World War, hung on a little bit of piano wire because he stood up for the Lord Jesus Christ and chose to go back to Germany and to preach the good news of Jesus while the 
Lutheran church had become one of the apostate churches in history where it turned its back on Christian teaching and turned its way towards the philosophy of the Nazi regime. We know that story. But there he wrote in the prison cell, to suffer is a badge of honor to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And months before the war was ended, he was killed. And we understand that and we, we feel that. We feel that conflict. But this moves us on to verse 26. Jesus now promises, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Jesus paints this picture of abiding. He paints this picture of remaining. He paints this picture of a radical people that are a people of love and a people of grace. And then he says, you will be hated and you will face the cost. But then at the end of the narrative, he says, I promise you this one thing. You receive the power of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will come to you. And what will the Holy Spirit do? First of all, as you go through the most difficult of times, the Holy Spirit will comfort you. You have a comforter. You have an advocate. You have a counselor. That will come. And that's why it's so critical in the shifting political times of the Western world. And as the church is facing challenges on every front. That as a people we become a people that are utterly dependent upon the comfort and the presence of the Holy Spirit at work within our lives. This is not a time for being a dry Christian. This is not a time for being a Christian who kind of deletes the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. This is a time when we need to be ye filled with the Holy Spirit. We need God's power. We need God's strength. We need the Holy Spirit to cope with what Jesus is describing here. Because there are times when you will feel so alone and you just need comfort. And Jesus promised you You know, don't be troubled. He promises the comforter who will come. He promises the one that will minister to you. He promises you to come and to counsel you and give you wisdom and give you a direction and to help you in that problem, in that difficulty you are facing. The language of this text is... Is, is like a, a law of court. It's like a judicial uh, situation whereby you are being accused. You're being told that you shouldn't be this way. You're being told that you are no longer acceptable because you follow Jesus in the context of, of the Jewish culture and the Roman Empire. And yet what Jesus is saying is, do not worry because I've sent an advocate and he will be with you. And the third person, the Trinity, will support the the church will support the disciples, will surround you in his glorious presence and love. And that's why our prayer life and our seeking and our 
being in Jesus' presence and inviting the Holy Spirit to speak to us through Scripture and living a Spirit-filled life is absolutely fundamental like never before. We need it. We need this presence because when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about you. Now, in the context of this, you and I are called to witness. We are called to be a witness. We are called to speak and to share and to give the good news of Jesus, the good news of what he achieved, who Jesus is, to to delight in his goodness, to delight in what he does, to be able to bring this good news to people. But there's an expectation here that we bring good news. Not only do we testify, but the Holy Spirit testifies And actually what he's saying in this text is that there is no room for you and I as his disciples who remain in the vine for us to be passive in our Christian walk. It's no room for passivity. We're not called to be passive. We're called to engage with the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. To share his goodness to share his story. And you will also testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. He's encouraging them. They've been, you will testify, but I will give you the power. And I've been with you from the beginning. You know the story. You know that you must testify. You know all this I have told you so that you will not fall away. See, what Jesus is actually saying to them is, you, disciples, have been given the truth. And because you know the truth of who I am and what I did and what I've achieved, your job, because you know the truth, is to testify to that truth even though it gets bumpy, lumpy, and difficult. Even though at times you will find people will not appreciate the good news of the story of Jesus. They will not appreciate the declaration about who Jesus is and what he came to do and what he achieved on the cross. They will not appreciate that unless, of course, as we heard last week, we completely give in And we agree with the world's attitudes. We agree with the world's principles. We agree with the world. Then the world will love us. And we've just got a bit of religion. And they don't care. But we can't do that because we are called to declare the truth of Jesus. And we are not there to stand for falsehood. We are there to stand for absolute truth. So what was, the, what was John writing to say that they must communicate? He was writing to say that you know the story. All of this I have told you so that you will not fall away. I've told you everything. Literally, I have told you, you've been with me. You know my history. You know my teachings. You know the story. You know what I achieved on the cross. You know what I did at the resurrection. You know what I've promised about the future. You know, you know what I've done. So I'm asking you to be faithful. 
Be faithful. When I got converted, I had a couple of prayers. <laughs> I was telling the teenagers this because I was well younger. I was preaching some of these concepts to the Pursuit congregation. And I was talking about, you know, they are under so much pressure in society to move away from biblical truths. Because the pressure that they experience and what they go through. And I was saying, when I was young, the one prayer I prayed, well, I actually prayed to, everybody was talking about Jesus coming again, you know, late 80s. And, and so, do you remember? Early 80s, 1981, 82. So I was really praying, Lord, don't come again. Don't come right now because I'd like to do a few things. I'd like to... <laughs> I didn't, did you pray this prayer? Lord, I don't come honestly. Wait a little bit, because I'd like to get married, thanks. And, and all the teenagers were like, yeah, looking at me as if I was crazy. But, but the more important prayer was, none of you will admit that prayer. The most important prayer that I remember praying, and I was terrified, was, Lord, don't allow me in my life, for the rest of my life, until the day I die, don't allow me to fall away from the faith. Remember that. Because so many people were leaving the faith. So many people in that 80s period were walking away. So much bad news about Christianity. So many evangelists were falling and things were happening. And there was a, there was a sh uh, upheaval in the 80s. And I remember seeing my own friends who got saved with me walk away from the faith. And I remember praying with all of my heart, Lord, I do not want to to fall away from the faith. And the one thing I pray that I will live my life to the day I die serving the Lord Jesus Christ. That I won't give up on the orthodoxy of the ancient church. I will not give up on the Lord Jesus Christ and his love. I will not allow the falsehood and the false witness to come and to pollute me, Lord. Give me this beautiful, pure relationship that I have abiding in the vine. May I not fall away. I say this because these verses are about exactly Jesus, what he was worried about. That they would walk and fall and go astray. They would go astray. Literally it means in these verses that you will go astray and you will stumble and you will stumble in the darkness. And there is a danger that there are so many reasons why we can go astray and become unfaithful to the history and the teachings and the beauty and the relationship and the love and the vine of the Lord Jesus Christ. But can I say to you, you pray, you pray that, that, that you will hold on to him and never let it go. Because you stumble all around in darkness is what he's saying. Have you ever stumbled in darkness? They were. I, 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 I remember being, I was quite young, in the cinema. And I had somehow come in at the bottom and there was steps going all the way up. And the cinema was absolutely packed. And it was dark. And I had a big popcorn and a big... Uh, drink and I started walking up the steps I was trying to get up there 
and then I literally stumbled and fell over and I threw all of the popcorn in the air and all of the drink and it went and I hit the deck. What was really depressing was the whole of the cinema instantly laughed out loud at me. <laughs> ah. Boom. I stumbled in the darkness. And the cloud of witnesses laughed at me that moment. No. I don't want to stumble in the darkness. I want to follow the light. I want to be faithful. I want to keep true. I don't want to be passive. Literally what he's saying is with the power of the Holy Spirit, get back and partnership with the Lord. You're in a partnership with him. You're in that connection with him. Now in John's mind, of course, he was the bishop of Ephesus by this time and ministering there. They will put you out of the synagogue. It goes very personal to the early church experience here towards the end of like 80 AD, 85 AD, and they will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. Do you remember Stephen? They thought they were offering a service to God by stunning him to death. Do you remember Paul of, as he preached, Saul of Tarsus? They thought, he thought he was offering a service to God, going around, terrifying the church, grabbing the Christians, bring them out until one day the Lord accosted him on the road to Damascus and said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Me? And he had his encounter with God. You see, John is writing to a beleaguered, battered church that is no longer culturally acceptable either in the Roman Empire or in Jewish culture. People are going around persecuting them. They're being thrown out of the synagogue. They're not giving anything. They're being excluded. Things are happening. And he's writing to remind them as well that you will face this kind of exclusion that will take place. But you have a comforter. But you have an advocate. But you're in partnership with me. Be faithful and don't go astray. Fundamentally, what Jesus is teaching here is that he will equip you to cope with all that the church faces. He's promised to equip you. He's promised to be with you. He's promised to equip you. And he uses this interesting verse at the end here. And they will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. He warned them about the time. In the other verse, he uses the phrase, the hour. 
that there is a time that comes and there is a moment that comes when in life, sometimes it's plain sailing, sometimes it's absolutely fine, sometimes it is there, but there are an hour, there is a times when you will feel and be excluded. You will be rejected. You will be unacceptable. You will be booted out of the synagogues of this world. And you will face the pressure. But remember, a servant is not greater than his master. And the Lord, the Lord has gone before us. And he has sent us the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. So there is a pressure on us. And I find it ironic that when he, when he paints such a beautiful teaching about abiding and about love and about being full of God's love and presence, that that invokes a response from the world that can be costly an opposite, and that we have to choose then to be faithful and not to go astray and to recognize the hour and the moment and know that the Lord is with us and his spirit comes and fills us. I said to the teenagers and the young adults, I said, your generation will have to make so many choices about the faith. You're going to have to make choices about choosing to live for Jesus for the rest of your life. Because in today's culture, you can no longer just be a nominal Christian. You can no longer just be passive. And today, we are called to lay down our lives and to witness and to pray. We don't meet evil with evil, never. We are, as the scripture teaches us, we meet the world with the love of Jesus because we abide in the vine. Let's pray. Lord, we want to be true to your word. And as we come to the end of chapter 15, first of all, may we be a people that abide in you. Make us dynamic in our prayer life. Make us fruitful in our intimacy. Help us, Lord, to draw upon the vine and to grow in the beauty of our walk with you and our love with you and our intimacy with you, Lord. Help us, Lord, I pray. Even in the face of opposition, even in the face where we are hated, even in the face of difficult times when we're excluded from the synagogue. Lord, we thank you that we have the power of the Holy Spirit and the relationship with you. And we welcome you, Holy Spirit, to come to comfort us, to come and counsel us, to come and be our advocate, to come and give us the power to live out our Christianity day by day as we're in the vine. And Lord, we pray for this world today. 
And we pray that people will turn their hearts towards the Lord Jesus. They will discover the glory and the love and the wonder of him. That they will know his presence and his power. We pray, Lord, for Kelowna, that the winds of revival will blow. We pray for healthy churches and strong churches, prayer-focused churches, churches that love you and preach the good news of the gospel. We pray for people to find you as Lord and Savior. We pray, Lord, that you will move in such a way that people will discover a relationship with you. They will find forgiveness and life and new beginning. We pray for Canada, Lord, and all the decisions that are being made and all the choices that are being made at a political level. We declare that, Lord Jesus, that in a time of great darkness, we declare that there will be a great light that will shine. We ask, Lord for your mercy to come. And we ask, Lord, that you will sustain your church, renew your church, strengthen your body, that we may know you in a way that we've never known you. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and fill us, I pray, afresh and draw us close to you, Lord. Thank you for your word and how it informs us. And may we live devoted to you and may we run the race to the end Lord I pray in Jesus name Amen